Dharma, teaching of the truth, and the Sangha, community practitioners. Good evening. We're continuing with um, the talks on the Muman Khan, the Gateless Gate, the collection of koans, 48 koans, that was put together in the 12th century by Zen Master Muman. One of the hallmarks of the Zen tradition is it emphasizes directly expressing things. It emphasizes the direct experience of things. There are some traditions that spend a lot of time talking about and explaining um, the nature of things. So, for example, you might look in um, some of the Vajrayana traditions, and they might talk about the, the nature of the one mind, Rigpa, Kunchi. They might say that it has this quality, certain qualities, you know, boundlessness, spaciousness, brightness, luminosity, etc., etc. Or you might talk, talk about other traditions that say the, the way to have awakening is through particular methods. You look into the nature of things, you take it apart, you see it as, as composed of parts, you see those parts as being simply temporary constructions, you look into that and you see the emptiness of things. The Zen tradition emphasizes that the non-dual is directly expressed right here, right now, each moment. So when we're dealing with these koans, the koans all are asking us to both inquire into the nature of things, inquire into the nature of mind, and to give expression of it. So when we are working on a koan with a teacher, the goal is the spirit that we express the answer with, and how do we express the answer in a non-dual way? Non-dual meaning not two. Two things are one. Today we're working on case number four, which has got various translations, the beardless barbarian. Um, and the koan is very simple, very straightforward. Uh, Zen Master Wukan asked, why does the foreigner from the West have no beard? Or, or the way I think it's clear is, why does Bodhidharma have no beard? Now, that's the whole koan. You know? Why does Bodhidharma have no beard? Now, actually, this is a very profound koan. And it obviously is not one that we can spend a whole lot of time with the rational mind on. I mean, what is there to chew on there? But there are several parts to it, all of which have to be looked at and experienced directly. So first off, it's important to know the context. Bodhidharma, the founder of the, the person who brought Buddhism, uh, iconographically, the person who brought Buddhism from India to China, He's always depicted as a red-bearded foreigner, or at least a bearded foreigner. Um, whether he is a real person or not, some people say, yes, this is a real person who, who came from southern India, came from the west to China, or whether he's iconographic. Well, somehow the transmission made it from, from uh, India to China. But he's always... Um, iconographically depicted as somebody who has often got a cloak, a blanket, a cloak over himself, over his head, wearing a big full beard. Now, the, the, uh, the Chinese don't really have beards. Uh, the 
Chinese are not as hirsute as, as a lot of Westerners are. So this particular koan, first off, you have to know the iconography. You know, there's this, this, this guy with a big full beard. You have to know that he is representing foundational teaching, foundational dharma, representing a foundational truth, foundational truth that is, in a way, present in all places and all times. And so, with that, he says, well, why? How is it? How can it be that Bodhidharma has no beard? So, one part of the koan is this why. How do we investigate? How do we look at why? Why anything? That's one, one thing. We'll talk about that. Secondly, the second part of the koan is, well, who is Bodhidharma? We're talking about a non-dual tradition here. So we're not talking about some old, decrepit person from some ancient time. Of course, we have to be speaking about the non-dual, which means it has to be speaking about the nature of this mind, the nature of this life, the nature of, of my own awareness. So Bodhidharma is not about somebody else. So we might translate this koan, why don't I have a nose? Why don't I have a chin? Why don't I have hands? Why don't I have legs? How can it be that I don't have a stomach? So that's another way of looking at that. Who is this Bodhidharma? And then another way, the third part of it is the beard. Now, you know, if I have a nose and I have hands and I have arms, what does that mean when you say, how can it be you have no nose, hands, arms, head? So there are those three elements uh, of the koan. There probably are a couple more. So, a traditional, if you read much of the Zen Buddhist literature, it often asks, why? Why does Bodhidharma come? Why does this happen? Why does the universe act like this? Why, why, why? Now, we know if we start looking at why, the, the, the rational answer is, you know, it takes everything to come to this moment. We think, you know, why do I have a, why, why is there a watch here? Well, the watch is composed of all the different components of the metals, and it's composed of the craftsmen, and it's composed of just the very notion of time itself. How do we break things down into that time? It's composed of probably elements from China and India. It's composed of the transportation that brought all those elements together. If we look at why did this watch come here, it came here because Walmart had a $7 special on watches. And, you know, $7 watch, it's perfect time, as far as I can tell, for a while. And then why do I do it at Walmart? Why did Walmart take it? Why did Walmart shop that? Why did some people put it together? Why, 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 why? So on one level, why is a ridiculous question. Because the answer, of course, is just, it's endless. It just, it, it's endless. It takes the entire total, complete universe to come to this moment. Why are we born? Well, on one level, we were born because the entire total universe came together right here, in this way. How can you say a why to that? How can you, how can you put that into words? Why are we here? 
You have the direct, vivid experience of being right here. Now, when we're looking at why, we could also look at it in two different ways. You know, there's, there's the whole question of uh, inquiry. So, there are two kinds of inquiry. There's skeptical doubt. There's the, the doubting um, mind that is constantly pulling us away from things. And why are you doing that? No, I don't like that. You shouldn't do things that way, you know? What's the point of that? And the skeptical doubt is constantly separating ourselves from things, separating us from practice, separating ourselves from relationships, separating ourselves from the, 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 the skeptical mind bifurcates the world or trifurcates or quantificates the world into lots and lots of parts. The other kind of why is an inquiry. What is the real nature of this? What is the nature of this hand? is the nature of this mind? What is the nature? What is the nature of a beard? What is the nature of a nose? What is the nature of me? What is the nature of a human being? And that kind of why, that inquiry, that kind of inquiry pulls us into things. Pulls us into things. It's curiosity. And I like to translate one of the seven factors of enlightenment as curiosity that pulls us into that makes us get closer and closer and closer. That we go into a museum and we see a, a strange bone and we get curious about it. We walk over to the bone and we look at it really uh, with a close eye. We scrutinize it carefully. And that kind of inquiry where there is less and less separation and more and more engagement. So this particular koan is about how do we bring our life how do we engage ourself more and more intimately? Who am I? Why did I arrive right here? How did that happen? I want to look. I want to look carefully, 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 carefully. And of course, when we're looking more and more and more carefully, we have to be looking more and more and more viscerally. We have to be looking more and more deeply into the direct sensation. So there's that element element of, of great doubt that pulls us into things. There's the element of Bodhidharma. As I mentioned, you know, Bodhidharma is only an icon, an icon, an archetypal uh, character that represents the, the truth that is always present, east and west, always is here. The truth that emerges because it's always been around. But who's the one who knows that? Who is it who knows that we're sitting here in this room tonight? Who is it who hears these sounds? Who is it that feels this body who knows that it's heat, hot? There is heat. So the next part of this is we look into it and we think, well, who am I? The non-dual Bodhidharma and I are obviously not two things. Well, who am I? What is it that knows? And so the next part of this koan is looking directly, looking viscerally into my own experience of my own life. Who am I? Who am I? What is it that moves? What is it that speaks? What is it that recognizes movement and speech? Now, we all know that the one thing that no one can argue us out of, that one thing that no one can confuse us about is the very fact that 
of our presence right here. You know, I am. I'm sitting right here. Each of you is sitting right here. And if we were to have a great campaign to convince you you're not sitting right here, you know, not only would you have to have great mental gymnastics, but it would go against the, the direct experience, the vivid experience of your own life. Your, your direct experience of your own life is, here I am. Here something is. Here is awareness. Here is consciousness. So this particular coin is saying, look directly into that experience. Who am I? Why am I called Hogan? Why am I called Sojin? Jeff? Where'd that come from? Why am I called Bodhidharma? So on one level, we look into the very direct nature of our own being. We also look into the arbitrariness of our own constellation, our own appellations. Another element of this is, as you know, the, the, the essential thing is, why does Bodhidharma have no beard? Why do I have no nose? Why do I have no fingers? Now, obviously, that goes against the grain of our direct experience, obviously, right? You know, I mean, we all got hands, right? One of the things I find very interesting is uh, maybe some of you have done hidden puzzle games on the computers. Hidden, pu hidden, pu hidden puzzle games are, you know, you say here, find the bat, find the, the, the trefoil, find the, the catapult, and there will be a, a whole series of images, a whole series of a picture, a dense picture, and in that picture there is a pink cat, or in that picture there is a teapot, or in that picture there is a golden cup, and the task of this particular game is you have to find these little items and you have to click on them. Now I find what's very interesting when you do that is until you see something, it does not exist. Until we see something. So if you're looking at this, and you're looking all over at it, look all over it, and you can't find it. It's basically, you say it's not there, and suddenly it clicks, and oh, there it is. Now, that's an interesting nature of the, of the way the mind works. So right here, right now, I can say, feel your right ear. Instantly. All of us have a right ear. I can say, feel your right big toe. Instantly. Your right big toe comes into your awareness. Oh, feel your hands. Instantly. Hands come into your awareness. Where were those hands, the big toe, the right ear, before you turned your mind to it? Did they exist or did they not exist? So when we get into do things exist or not exist, that's a really interesting point. So right now, are there cars outside? We don't know that with our direct experience, right? We've got a memory of it. We have a probability. We sure hope they're out there. Probability is 99% that they are. But nobody really knows until you actually put your hands on the thing and see it. Until something is actually perceived, we cannot know whether it exists or not. Suddenly your back is in your awareness. Oh, there's a back. When we are not aware of something, we can't say whether it exists or doesn't exist. 
We might have a memory. We might have a, a, a rational thought. We all, we all know that our keys have got to be in that pocket. I know I left my keys in that table. But until we actually see them, people have lost things they know were there. So this koan is asking about, it's asking for great doubt. It's asking for us to look into the nature of our life. It's asking about, well, who are we anyhow? It's asking about the, the constructed nature of reality. Who in the world constructed a bodhidharma or a hogan or a human being? We construct that out of our own apperception. It's asking us to look at the nature of things that they do not exist until they're perceived. Awareness and the objects of awareness arise simultaneously. They're not two things. No awareness, no object. No object, no awareness. Awareness and the objects of awareness are simultaneously present. So when we talk about what is most into, we talk about ultimate reality, when we talk about the awareness which is always present, and we say, look around, we're not talking about the things, we're saying the awareness the awareness of exactly what you see right here, right now, it itself is nothing but. Nothing but. The ultimate truth, Buddha nature. The awakened mind is not someplace else. The only time that there actually is, is right now. So our awakening has to be right now. has to be in this now that includes all things. So this koan, again, is, is a profound koan asking about the nature of life, asking about the nature of our own mind, asking us to look at the constructed nature of our own reality, asking us to see the intimateness of all things. The Bodhidharma is not someplace else. So the question then comes, with you put all this together, how is it that we can say, I have no hands? That's the koan. That's the background to the koan. And so how do we look into that? How do we, of course I have hands, 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 of course I have hands. Of course, of course. I'm going to see I don't have hands. I'm going to see I don't have hands. Yes, I'm going to penetrate into this koan and find I don't have, it's impossible, right? The more you look for hands, the more hands there are. So this koan is asking about something that is our direct experience. It's not asking about the duality of my hands. It's asking us to enter into the complete, wholehearted, unselfconscious functioning of our own being. The complete, wholehearted, unselfconscious functioning of our own being. When our digestion is working well, we don't even know we're digesting, right? When we're enjoying a meal, we're sitting in a, at the table, how much of that meal is completely unconscious to us? Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, though. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not perceived as other. So this koan is how is about how do I intimately 
become aware of my whole being as not other. And it's not asking us to do that with the rational mind. So when we're sitting in the, in the zendo and we're meditating and we're following the breath and feeling the breath, if the mind is busy saying, okay, breath, 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 breathing in, breathing in, breathing out, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, pause, breathing in, breathing out, pause, or the seven point, or the bamboo breathing, or all the different ways you can breathe, then practice can become a real struggle. I am busy so busy fighting and efforting and trying. But at some point, when we actually enter in and allow the breath to breathe us, and we become part of the breath, and the breath becomes part of us, and our awareness and the breath becomes one thing, we don't even know we're breathing. We don't even know we're chewing. We don't even know we're walking. We don't even know we're using our hands. We don't even know how we're using our tongue. Right here, right now, we don't even know how we're using our ears. It is that intimate, that intimacy, that wholehearted intimacy where we are no longer busy setting aside or standing back with the inner critic, standing back with the witness, standing back with the, with the judgmental mind, but instead we have entered into our own direct experience and feel the flavor of our life, and watch that life unfold through us. It's a mystery. This koan is asking us to enter the mystery of our own life. This koan is asking us to enter the mystery of this life. Where did this life come from? How in the world did this arrive? We look into it, we can't find a source, we can't find a thing, and yet, here we are, vividly present, there is a profound mystery, a profound not knowing at the essence of being. And so this particular koan is asking us, enter into that. You can't analyze it with your head. Be curious, fundamentally, not knowing is most intimate, one, one famous teacher said. Not knowing is most intimate. And that doesn't mean the not knowing of ignorance. It means the not knowing of I am so involved that I am unselfconsciously, wholeheartedly functioning, engaged. And this theme will come back over and over. I mean, all these themes I'm talking about will come back over and over in the koans. And so when we're working on a koan, we have to not only go into the, into the particular koan, because the koan asks you to express the truth in, in, the, in the circumstances of the koan. How is it that I have no nose? So, just to sum this up, deep respect and appreciation, the deep respect and appreciation for your own life, for the miracle of this life, for this life that is living through you, 
of the whole universe that requires this particular life for it to be present. That profound, awesome awareness is not necessarily a rational understanding. And yet, if we look carefully, it's all a miracle. All a miracle. Your life is a miracle. I don't care what you think about it. But the very fact that you are alive, the very fact that you are breathing, the very fact that you are sitting right here listening, that is a miracle which is perhaps the most profound gift that you've ever been given. This koan is asking you, asking each of us, to appreciate the profound gift of our own life. And of course, we have to express it in a way that's got some juice to it. So please, have... uh, I feel like I've concluded this talk several times, and I keep saying, appreciate, appreciate, appreciate. So continue appreciating. Thank you very much.